great entrepreneurs are driven by a desire to serve. Um, I used to think that like my military service and then my legal service uh, were different than being an entrepreneur. Now I realize they're all the same. Welcome to UpToTech Report. This is our Founders Journey series. Today, I am joined by my guest, France Huang, who's based in Colorado, co-founder and chief strategy officer at Boodle.ai. This is part two of our discussion. Definitely go back and listen to part one, where we understood a bit more about their product, a people-focused predictive analytics platform. Basically, anyone who needs to raise money or increase sales from people, this is a platform you want to check out. But in this episode, I want to dive a little bit deeper into uh, your journey, friends, that you've been on with your co-founder of the insights and the lessons learned and, and really how did you get to where you are today? So let's start there. Like, what what did you do before uh, starting a Boodle and, and how did that lead to where you are, guys, where you are today? Yeah, a great challenge today, Alexander. Uh, the, so the journey. So if I had to pick one word to describe myself, uh, it would be unemployable. Um, I came over to this country as a refugee from Vietnam at 18 months old, grew up in a small town, wanted to give back. So I, I joined the army, went to West Point, uh, served in the army for five years, uh, then came to Washington, D.C. Uh, first career pivot, I became a lawyer. Um, frankly, wasn't that great of a lawyer. Um, still ended up working in the White House for a previous administration. And then in my mid-30s, because I have a poorly developed sense of self-preservation and or a high risk tolerance, I rejoined the army at the age of 35 and went to Afghanistan and served with uh, US Army Special Forces, came back and then probably because my risk tolerance level was pretty amped at that point, uh, became an entrepreneur and uh, joined the founding team to not just one, but two different companies simultaneously, a law firm and a company that uh, provided real-time situational awareness by operating planes, drones and helicopters all around the world. Um, the law firm grew to be you know, dozens of lawyers, several thousand clients continues today. The other company, uh, Mag Aerospace, um, has grown to you know, almost a couple thousand employees, um, several hundred million dollars in revenue. Um, I served as the uh, chief strategy officer and uh, we had a private equity uh, turnover a couple of years back and that allowed me to go out and, and try some other things. And among those things was making the founding investment uh, and being one of the co-founders of Boodle. What a, a fascinating journey that I have absolutely not heard anyone else on this uh, series uh, share, which I think is is amazing. Of you talk about your your risk tolerance. I mean, being able to to go into the military once, but not, not once, but twice, and then going into entrepreneurship, you're like, yeah, this is easy, bulletproof. I can I can roll with this. And then starting in two uh, different uh, jobs and startups at the same time. There, I imagine over those years, there's a lot of insights that, that, you've, that you've gathered. Now, whether, um, maybe look at Boodle for a moment. It's about two, coming up three years, right? Next year will be three years they started. Um, if you had to think about like one lesson or one insight that you wish you could just tell yourself, like go back three years ago and say, hey, you should really know this. Uh, what comes to your mind? Yeah, I'm going to, if I may just indulge me, I'm going to pick two actually, because I think they're both super, super important. Um, and this applies not just to Boodle, but all the endeavors I've been lucky enough to be a part of. Um, the first is that entrepreneurs, great entrepreneurs, are driven by a desire to serve. Um, I used to think that like my military service and then my legal service uh, were different than being an entrepreneur. Now I realize they're all the same in the sense that great entrepreneurs are great, I think, partially or maybe all because 
um, or mostly because they really believe in what they're doing. They believe in the product or service they're building, and they believe most importantly that it's going to help other people. It's going to make a difference. And that belief that what you're doing is going to be of service is actually what drives and sustains you through the hard times. And that kind of brings me to my second point when you know, people often ask me, like, hey, should I become an entrepreneur? You've been an entrepreneur for 10 years. You seem to really enjoy it. You know, the question I always ask them is, do you love your, your product or service or your company enough that you're willing to fail at it? And they're, most of the time, they're taken aback. Like, well, I don't want to create a company to fail. And I said, well, then you don't love it enough. Um, you know, you should, be, you should love what you want to do. You should be so passionate about it that you would do it even knowing you're going to fail. Because that's the amount of passion you should have about what you're building. That knowing from the beginning, this isn't going to work, that you would still do the journey. Because if you're only doing the journey because you believe you're going to be successful, that's probably not enough. Because there's too many, as we all know as entrepreneurs, there's just too many dark times, right? What I call WIFIO moments, and you can look up what WIFIO stands for, um, that you need something else to drive you. I I really am fascinated with that concept of you're willing to do it even if you know it fails because you're preparing for those dark moments. A lot of people, uh, other founders I ask, what's your favorite book? They say the hard thing about hard things where mm -hmm. it's just him going into all the hard moments and how appropriate then that concept of you're willing to keep moving forward through that. Wow. Now, for both of these businesses, um, to begin the journey, you, you do need some cash. You need fundraising. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Boodle is, is around fundraising too, but um, can, what insights can you share like major mistakes, whether you've made it, that's okay if you want, don't want to share that one, but maybe in other places, a major mistake when it comes to fundraising that someone else should try to avoid when they're growing their startup. Yeah, I think, um, so we were very fortunate, both at the prior company I was in and now with, with Boodle, um, we were very fortunate that when we raised money, we got more than just money. Look, the money's important. It gives, it's, it's fuel for the plane you're building while flying it, right? And all those great analogies. But the money comes from someone and that someone should be a partner. And so while the money is important, I think the partnership is more important. And the intangibles that come from bringing on an investor that not only, not only believes in the economics of your business and that there's going to be a good return, but believes in the founding team and, and takes a partnership mentality, that's critical. And I was very fortunate at, at MAG, we had Claire Vest. Um, out of Toronto uh, as an incredible partner. And at Boodle, we have Osage Venture Partners um, out of Pennsylvania. And they both take this very founder-centric, partner-centric approach um, that comes along with the capital they invested. And that, that has been critical. And I think the biggest mistake that founders make is where they just think about bringing on investors because of the money, right? And don't think enough about the partnership. So when it comes to that partnership, I mean, what, what, if you think of your experience, like what real value have you seen, or if you had to like quantify or even just pull out an exact tactic or, or experience, you're like, yeah. wow, this is really what, what is, this is what partnership is all about. Yeah. So to the extent that entrepreneurship is a journey of failureship, right? You're going to, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have failures. Uh, it'd be better if you had a partner that had seen and experience a number of failures along the way, it can help guide you on what to avoid, right? In other words, I, look, I'm a big fan of biographies. Why? Because life's short. And, you know, if I can read and learn from other people's mistakes and successes, that helps me because I, I'm only going to live one life, right? But if by reading a biography, I can live 20 lives. It's the same thing with having a great partner. They have dozens of companies they've invested in 
they've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and they can impart that wisdom to you as a, as a entrepreneur and a founder on your journey. And whether it's the first time or the third time, right, you're never going to have as much experience as someone who's been through it 20, 30, 40 times. Now, fun, fundraising is one piece. The next then is, is actually building the, the team uh, to be able to make it happen. Uh, when it comes to hiring and, and looking for the right candidates and building your team, um, what have you seen are, are um, good tactics or good mindset to have when you're building your team? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if I was going to give a formula for what a successful company is, it's 1% idea, 49% people and 50% execution. So uh, the team is absolutely critical. And I think uh, when hiring, uh, you know, obviously you want people who are competent and capable, but I think most importantly, you want people to fit your culture. Um, and that means you've got to think about what culture you have. And culture isn't something you teach people once they join. Um, culture is literally, right, the people you have. And so every time you make a hire, you're actually deciding what kind of culture you want. And so I think uh, as founders, uh, you know, I think the companies that I've been, again, blessed to be a part of that have been successful, if I could point out one thing that was critical for that success, it was we hired and motivated and retained the people that fit our culture. And, and that was purposeful. It didn't happen by accident. How do you uh, determine whether someone's a good fit for your culture? Like what tools or, or tactics do you use? Oh, it's a great question. I think first off, you, you have to know for yourself what kind of culture you want, right? And be able to articulate it. And then I think you need to have like honest conversations, right? With the people who are prospects. And, and that's what I'm a big fan of. Uh, you know, if, if you are, you know, a company that, you know, works hard, plays hard, and, but expects people to like put in long hours, then be upfront about that, right? Because you don't want to have somebody that had a different expectation and they joined the company and now there's conflict, right? If if you're a company that expects people to, you know, uh, behave a certain way in, in, you know, the way they conduct themselves with your customers, then you should be very clear about that. So I think it's, it's about be, A, knowing yourself and B, being able to communicate that and then having the courage to communicate that as early as you can in the process so that people who aren't a cultural fit self-select themselves out. So already even in, in the onboarding process, when you're looking to hire someone, you're like, hey, this is what our culture is. You mm -hmm. like it. You don't? Okay, bye-bye. Um, now, what about as you grow? Uh, obviously, it changes. You, you, the, the organization, the team moves forward. How big is the team today? Uh, we've got 26 employees. What would you say is, is, have you found, and maybe it's not at this point yet, but you have previous experiences as well. Like what point does it start to change and do you have to have like reoccurring conversations around culture and, and fit? And how does that, as a leader, do you have to make those decisions? Uh, you absolutely have to make those decisions. Uh, conversations are good, but you know, there's a great book, right? What you do is who you are. Um, you're making decisions about culture every single day, right? The, the, how the decisions you make about how you run the company, the policies you put out, you know, who you allow to stay in the company, right? You know, if somebody, uh, you know, if somebody's a poor performer and you tolerate it, then you're sending a signal that poor performance is tolerated, right? So it's all the things, literally everything you do and everything you don't do, right, influences the culture because it's sending a message. So I, I, it's not something you talk about. It, I mean, it is, it is something you should talk about, but that's not how you create culture. Culture is action. I agree with that 100%. That book suggestion was uh, what you do is who you are? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll look that up. I like that. Now, you've got fundraising. Uh, you've got money. You've got a good partnership there. You've got you built a team. Now, 
to actually market the product and to get customers. When it comes to to marketing in, in the world that we're in, 21st century, have you seen any uh, common mistakes that you, people are making and should avoid? Yeah, I saw a stat once, you know, what, 97% of seed stage companies fail. And when they did an analysis, one group, right, 70% of companies fail because there's no market demand. Like literally these companies, these founders built a product or a service that nobody wanted to buy. And so there's, I think there's two critical components of building a successful, you know, startup. You know, one is getting good product market fit. You know, if you want to build something that is useful to people and they're willing to, and you know, it's useful because they're willing to pay you for it. Right. So that's, that's the build part of the equation. But if that's all you do, you've built a really great science experiment. You haven't built a business. The other part is actually getting traction, right? It's go to market. It's, it's building a business around that product or service that has product market fit and all the things that are involved in that, right? Generating leads and converting those leads and keeping those customers happy with customer success and then running the finance and the operations and the HR. And so that other component, the go to market um, is, is separate than the first part. And so I think the, to answer your question, the biggest mistake that I at least see in uh, among founders is they think the first part's enough. If I just build a great product or service and have product market fit, that the second part is going to take care of itself. Now, sometimes it does. Sometimes you have a runaway product that goes viral, that it doesn't matter. You don't have to do any go to market because it just takes off, right? But um, hope is not a strategy. Like I'm not gonna hope for a viral hit, right? So planning out the second part, the go to market is a whole separate exercise, different than building a great product or service. Building a great product market fit is, is generally that leads to building a great science experiment. I <laughs> hope is not a good strategy. That That's a powerful insight. So then when you actually get into the thick of it and you're like, all right, what's the, the go to market strategy and, and reaching out from your now experiences, what have you seen have been tactics or, um, or exact outreaches that have worked really well for you guys? Yeah. So two things. So going back to what I said earlier, listening to your customers, right? So going, rooting what you do talking to customers, not just about what product they want, but talking to them about marketing, right? You know, you know some of your early evangelists, right? Your earlier customers are going to be early are you adopters. Like calling them up or like you say, yeah. hey, let's chat. Let's <laughs> chat. Like, hey, I want to expand my business. How do I find more people like you? And seeing what they say and getting their insights. So product, you know, that, that customer discovery is critical, not just in building a great product, but in building a great business. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the, ways to accelerate your go-to-market is to go back to the customers you've been successful with and get their insights. Um, the second thing I would, su- I would suggest um, or offer up is just like um, there's an expertise in building a product, right? You, you would hire a great CTO. Um, you use an expertise in, um, in HR, right? Uh, there's expertise in sales and marketing and bringing on professionals um, early on. Look, the first sales people in any company will be the founders because they're passionate. They know their product. They believe in it. Right. Uh, but to build a repeatable, scalable sales process, you've got to bring in expertise. And so whether you, that's someone you bring onto your team because they have that background or whether that's a consultancy uh, you bring on board from the outside, uh, you, you got to get it from somewhere. And again, sometimes products are runaway hits and you, you go viral and you don't really need that. But I think for, for us mortal uh, entrepreneurs that have to do it the hard way, uh, you know, leveraging people who have the expertise and experience is, is really important and critical. 
Speaking of hiring, uh, whether someone that has that expertise or getting consultant, um, how do you know it's the right time to uh, hire that person? Like, uh, is it, it uh, right at the very beginning? Uh, when do you make that decision? Oof, that's a that's a really hard question to answer. I think it's going to be different for every business. Um, and again, this is where having a great partner, right, is critical. Like, I as a founder, how do you even begin to answer that question without just talking to people? right? And getting their expertise. If you have a partner, right? If you bring on board an early investor that has scaled a company, you can have that conversation with them and they can provide you the insights. And so that's why the partnership is key. And maybe early on, right? It's, it's not an investor. Maybe it's a board member or it's a board of advisor, right? So, you know, you want to build an, a team of advisors, directors, investors that hopefully make up for whatever shortfalls you may have Right. And you're going to have many as a founder where you just don't have the expertise or experience. This leads us nicely into this conversation around productivity. I mean, as a as a co-founder and as a, trying to lead the company, your time is so valuable. How do you decide and, and manage your, your own time and focus and where it's where it's spent? Yeah, I think that, that question is best answered as part of a team. Right. So I really believe so entrepreneurship is a contact sport in the sense of like, you want it, it's people that matter, right? So, you know, if 99% of the equation is people in execution, it's it's people. And so uh, when you, I really believe in founding teams, you know, I've never created a company by myself. I've always been part of a founding team. And the great thing about a team is you've got camaraderie and you make up for each other's weaknesses with, be, with your respective strengths. And so, you know, where you spend your time, I think you that should be a question answered as a team. And so, you know, hey, I'm great at business. You're great at sales. You're great at building technology. That's how we're going to split our time, right? And now at least we're not duplicative, you know, duplicative of one another. And let's fill and let's fill it out with advisors and investors and directors that make up for where we're weak. And now, right, as a as a group, we need to figure out how to prioritize, you know. And you know, I've once heard somebody say that a CEO or or a C level team has three tasks, right? The first is to have you know, vision and guidance for the company. The second is to hire great people. And the third is to make sure there's enough money in the bank. And so, you know, the, 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 your question goes to, if you take care of number two and three, good people and money, right? Now it's just figuring out the direction and the path to get there. Uh, speaking of then direction and looking forward, uh, what do you see as probably the next biggest challenge for you, uh, Boodle, to, to keep growing, keep moving forward in 2021 and beyond? So our challenge, I think, is the one that every, you know, company, uh, you know, that is a startup, you know, fights with, you know, we have a certain amount of traction we want to get and we have a certain amount of runway to do it in. Um, now, that's, that's brass tacks, right? Internally, what our biggest challenge is, um, it's always to delight our customers, right? How do we delight the customers we have? How do we find more customers to delight? And how do we do a better job of creating a product or service that can, uh, attract the customers we want that can be delighted, and so that's that's our focus. We're very, we're very, you know, kind of maniacal about that that focus. Um, it's easy to be maniacal because we we're passionate about what we do, right? Building this people-focused predictive analytics engine, and you said problem. that you're you love it so much, you're even willing to fail because you're just going to keep pushing to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So uh, for you to, to feed yourself, are there any books, podcasts, um, places that you go to and would recommend for others to, to read and look at? Yeah, I'm a voracious consumer of 
of blogs. Um, so I, I use Feedly and have like 150 RSS feeds to like all blogs out there. You know, I'm sure they're all the kind of ones that most tech entrepreneurs are, you know, subscribing to, but what's, I don't- What's your top three blogs and they just come to your mind? I'm curious. Oh, geez. Uh, top three. So I'm a big fan of Steve Blank um, and the stuff he puts out. Uh, he's also very focused on national security entrepreneurship, which is also another uh, passion of mine. Um, I really enjoy, um, uh, you know, everything put out by kind of like TechCrunch and, you know, you can pick any one of those five, you know, kind of major uh, blogs that kind of talk about technology, just to keep abreast of what's going on out there. And, um, and then kind of my, just kind of keep my, my mind open um, you know, I subscribe to, um, to courts and just to get a feed of like interesting articles and think, you know, other points of view just to, just to keep a wide aperture. How often do you, are you reading and, and looking at this as a daily, a weekly, how do you set your schedule of, I'm going to consume more outward insight? Yeah, I try to set a time, time every day. Um, I think it's important to like part of, uh, Part of being a founder and part of being, uh, you know, a, a effective executive in a company is setting aside time to take care of yourself. And for me, right, for my professional development, um, you know, learning, having, being a, a lifelong learner is part of how I take care of myself. Kind of last question here, looking forward, future focused, uh, what kind of tech innovations do you predict we'll see in the near term, next year or so, and long term, five, 10 years? Yeah, look, maybe it's because of the field I'm in, right? But anything related to data. I mean, data and just pick your poison. There are so many applications. I mean, this, this era, for all of you who are looking for a business idea, right? Take anywhere where there's lots of different data sets, figure a way to bring them all together, and then figure out a way to provide useful analytics off of it, whether it's descriptive analytics, predictive analytics, or prescriptive analytics. That model can be applied to virtually every industry and a whole host of problems. And um, while we have generic tools that do that, I think you're going to see more and more kind of granular applications of it. And so there is so much opportunity in that world of, of data and insights and, and, and helping, helping customers solve their problems that they, they currently have. Just mix and match, find a data science uh, or problem and, and assign a, <laughs> an area of solution. You can create a new, new product. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for the insights and the tips and the journey that you've been on and sharing your own mini biography of what you've been on. Thank you so much, France. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. Um, so definitely for those that want to hear more about Boodle, go back to uh, part one of our interview and you can hear more about their product, their people-focused predictive analytics platform. You can go also go to boodle.ai. This was Uptech Report, our Founders Journey series. Thanks again for joining us. Our sponsor for today's episode is TerraLeap. If you want to learn how to leverage the power of video in marketing and sales, head over to terraleap.io and learn about the new product, Customer Stories. Thanks so much, everyone, and we'll see you next time. That concludes the audio version of this episode. To see the original and more, visit our Uptech Report YouTube channel. If you know a tech company we should interview, you can nominate them at uptechreport.com. Or if you just prefer to listen, make sure you subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. Mm-hmm.